It's Monday, so it's Shapiro World, and what a world it is, David Shapiro. Before we get back to what happened on Friday on the JSC Securities Exchange and to football on Saturday and Sunday, we need to talk about the reason that you were so piqued this morning when we were sending messages to each other. I thought it was Eskom, but apparently not this time. Apparently one of the smartest shopping and leisure centres in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg just didn't turn up today. No, I don't know whether it's only our business, but apparently... Obviously, the tubes that come in or the lines that come into Melrose Arch have been, uh, I don't want to say severed, but they're not working. And as a result, we've got absolutely no connectivity at all, no telephones, no trading. And we're, we're a trading organization. I know that a lot of our traders have hopped over the road to Sassman in Scott Street and are operating from there and doing trade. But for the bulk of us, uh, we're without emails, we're without uh, prices. I went home to get my laptop. I'm working through this phone that I'm talking to you. I'm using that as a hotspot to get some kind of idea of what's happening in the world. Okay. And then we have TV, which is operating. <laughs> so, so it's not Eskom this you time. Got, you got, you've got to piece everything together. You know, You can't really... I, I go through a routine every day. I haven't been able to access Sends either, which has been uh, that that's been annoying. So I don't even know the. Uh, I know that old mutual. I've, you know, I've seen the headlines, old mutual and and APSA and so on. But um, it's very difficult to get all the details that have come through as well. David, all you have to do is to go to sharenet.co.za. They've got JSC Sends news. They've got the top major. I got to do that up and down, and they've, they've got everything. And in fact, um, before we get on to Friday, let's have a look at what did happen today. And as you mentioned, Old Mutual came out with their results. While I'm getting them up, is it easier to understand Old Mutual these days? Because over the years, I've not lost interest, but I don't have the type of brain that can disseminate the information. Yeah. I know it used to be about a 220-page uh, results presentation mm. for their full-year results, and I just I sort of got bored towards the, the well, first three paragraphs, actually. Well, you know why? Because we don't understand the talk. And with me, it's always been a gripe that uh, the investor relations people get hold of uh, all the commentary which is made by divisional heads or whoever runs the organization, and they put it into geek talk that you know nothing about. And I saw this with Nedbank's results, funny enough, from the same stable where, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the terms, but all the, they use a lot of acronyms, which mean absolutely nothing to anybody who's reading these for the first time. And instead of using simple language to explain what you do and where you, you know, where you went right and where you went wrong, they don't, they put it into CFA type language, um, and, uh, it just makes it incomprehensible. And as you say, boring, it makes it very tiring to go through results that you have to actually, you know, it torments you to get through them and it tests you to get through them. You, you haven't got that much time in a day, Lindsay, and, and you want no. to get to the result. What did they do? Did they do well or didn't they? If they did well, why did they do well? If they didn't do well, why didn't they do well? You know, what were the highlights? What weren't the highlights? Don't try hard anything because we'll eventually find it. That's a frustration I find with a number of businesses. Maybe that's a business uh, for me because they should have the, the boffins getting the results mm. as they're put out now. Maybe they should say, Lindsay, sit down with me, I'll record what I'm about to yes. say, and then put it into plain English. In other words, just what you said. How much money did we make in the last year? What were our costs? How many people do we employ? What are the prospects for the next year? Simple stuff that yeah. I can understand. That's a good idea, yeah. I think. Okay. We do, well, we don't understand insurance at the best of times. No. You know, we don't understand their numbers. They're very, very difficult to analyze. You know, if you take a company like Discovery, for example, it's almost impossible 
to get an understanding of where they make their money and where they don't. For the first time, we did get some kind of decent feel about discovery and that. But by and large, insurance companies are very, very difficult to, you know, to get a grip on. Simply, they are run by actuaries. So hmm. uh, that gives you a good idea. Yeah, embedded value is always, is, is always <laughs> beyond me. While you're thinking about this question, uh, while you're thinking about this question, I'm going to read uh, some of the highlights, so-called, of the old mutual results. And the question is, David, while I'm going to read them out, is what are we investing in now when we invest in old mutual on the JSC Securities Exchange? While you're thinking about that, headline earnings were better, okay, IFRS profit after tax attributable to the equity holders of the parent. That was the second highlight. Okay, Mm. better. Uh, Results from operations, uh, that's an RFO. Uh, Adjusted headline earnings, I understand that one. Adjusted headline earnings per share, yes. Final dividend, yes. RONAV, I presume that's return on net asset value. Group solvency ratio, etc. So not too bad, not quite as many acronyms as Nedbank. But let's get it back to basics now. What is old mutual? What are we buying when we buy a share on the exchange? You're buying, you're buying an old insurer. What do they do today? They insure your life and they offer you all kinds of financial products to make your life healthier and better. They run pension funds and all kinds of things associated with, with saving money. But they started out as, an, you know, what, 150, 170-odd years ago as a, as a life insurer. And over the years, they have transmogrified, or what's the word, transformed themselves into a much broader, uh, much broader investment type company. But the JSE so, listing is the pure insurance play rather than all the wealth and it, investment and net yeah. bank, et cetera. Now, well, it's got Nedbank still. Still uh, no, bit, it's yeah. in, And it's unbundled. Aren't they, they unbundled it yet? Well, they will unbundle it soon. Yes. So soon it will be the pure insurer that it was many, many years ago. And, Lindsay, to explain to people, it's a very difficult business in a market like we are at the moment. What happens to your money, a lot of your money, um, when you earn a salary, a little bit goes into uh, a pension fund. Which, uh, which they, you know, which they would run through various divisions. Um, you would actually put some money of your own into a life insurance policy, which they would look after in your behalf, make and so on. And they also offer all kinds of product, whether it's uh, uh, unit trusts or other savings vehicles, you know, on a global type basis. So they offer a massive range, or almost a supermarket of different uh, financial products. But the bulk of the business, I think, is to this day still life insurance, you know, still, still insurance-based products. That's what you're buying. So, so now if we are not earning money, if we are not getting bigger bonuses, if we are under a bit of pressure, the first thing we do is go cancel those life insurance products. You know, we cancel those or we terminate them and so on and get whatever money we can out of them. In many cases where it's pure life, you can't. You can't get your money back, you know, it's terminated and so on. And, and that's why it's very difficult in these, these kind of time to actually expand their, their, their business. And hence the results are flat if anything, uh, under a bit of pressure. Okay, Absa's uh, results now. And this is a company that is, of all the banks, has probably been the one that has disappointed the most. We'll come to that in a second. But mm. there's two mm. sets of results here. There's the IFRS basis and there's the normalized basis. Now, okay, yes. let, let's start with the... <laughs> which is, Don't ask me to explain. I'm not going to, I, because it, I, a, I, I would just put the phone down. It's an term which is impossible to explain over the phone 
or uh, in a simple soundbite, but it's a, yes. it's what, what <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like the accountants are trying to equalize everything and put them onto a, uh, smooth them into, um, you know, in, 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 into how, how can I explain into what would be a more reflection of, um, of how the company is doing. For example, <laughs> Uh, in many cases, you have to adjust your assets uh, to bring them more to market value. Um, you've, if, if you read Buffett's letter, you would hear him complaining and moaning about IFRS because hmm. every quarter he has to mark to market investments, which he has had for generations. He has to bring them to a today's value. And in a way, there's merit in it so that anybody buying it, uh, gets the full value of perhaps what are hidden values, you know, that you know the real value of something today and you're able to make a decision whether to buy or sell the share on the strength of those accounts. There's nothing hidden about it. Um, so if you're doing a lease at very favorable terms, they adjust it to what would be market terms and it's either a profit to you or a cost against you. And so we go on and on and on, adjusting almost every transaction that you enter into you have to almost market to market mm. do you understand what i'm saying yeah. that's that so, so can you imagine every transaction that you're involved in you have to say did i get it on more favorable terms in the market or less favorable if i got a more favorable terms well and good you know um we'll mark up if i got a less favorable terms we mark it down so on. How do they get these results <laughs> out in just two months when you're a big organization like, like ABSA or Old Mutual? Anyway, have a listen it's to this. It's impossible. Everybody moans and groans about IFRS. Mm. All right. Well, let's uh, have a look at the IFRS basis. Anyway, headline earnings per share declined 1% in the mm. IFRS basis salient features column here. Uh, 4% higher dividend. Revenue increased by 4% as well. Return on equity declined. And so it goes on. Credit impairments yep. fell 10% to $6.3 billion, but there's still credit impairments there and the NAV per share increased 1%. Really pedestrian stuff. Yeah, I think so. I, I haven't had a chance to go through it and need to go through it in detail, but it is very pedestrian and it's not out of line with the rest of the banks that have come through at the moment. If we take out Nedbank and Standard Bank, if we take out what's happened outside of the country where there was a bit of growth, there's been very little top line growth. Um, you know, in, in these businesses. I know that APSA is going to go through a, a whole restructuring. They want to restructure all their divisions. I don't know whether, I don't know how Maria Ramos uh, feels about that. She was at the helm at about 12 years. And why it suddenly has to happen now is also a question mark about, uh, about management. This is something that, Lindsay, that should be ongoing all the time. You should be, you, you know what I mean? Should, should be reviewing your operations and adjusting. So I know that it's a company that's going to go through a lot of change in, in, in the future. At what expense, I'm not quite sure. Okay. But I see they're down. I, I'm looking now. I see they, they, they've taken quite a beating, as with other financials. You know, Old Mutual. Old Mutual's down 4% uh, as we pre-recorded oh, this interview. Yes, they yeah, haven't been yeah. very well received at all. Okay, no, let's no. move on to AVI now. You understand that company a little bit mm. more. Like for mm. like revenue mm. growth. Yeah. Like for like revenue growth of 0.2%. It's done not absolutely good. nothing. Pressure Absolute, on sales, yeah, constrained yeah, consumer yeah, environment, yeah. gross profit margins protected despite yeah. the difficult environment. In other words, they can't put up their prices, so the gross profit margins yeah. stay exactly the same. Right. Operating profit down 6.4%, and so it goes on. Difficult mm, times mm. for what is essentially a consumer goods company. 
But this is a, this has been one of the, I call it blue chips of the consumer brands, hmm. a highly rated management team, uh, which has had, it's a more a manufacturing, you know, rather than a retailer or it supplies, uh, it supplies the grocers, it supplies, um, a lot of retail stores, although it has got some retail outlets as, uh, of its own, Kurt Geiger and so on. But, uh, also inside there is Irwin and Johnson and, um, Irwin Johnson, right? Yeah, yeah. the fish. <laughs> yeah, and um, so, so it's slightly complicated. This came out of uh, Anglo-Val Industries at one point, which is what AVI was, and it's always had top quality shares. But what it does expose is that even good management and as quality management as there is in this team couldn't pull anything out of the hat in a very difficult uh, South African economy. And I think that's what it exposes the difficulties. Uh, growing your top line in exceptionally tough times here. So nothing more than that. I don't think they made the mistakes that other division, you know, that other businesses have, have made. It's just, just been tough. And this is company that consistently has given you, uh, either, you know, 10% or thereabouts, 10, 12% over the last few years, maybe slightly below it, sometimes slightly above, but always a consistent, uh, player. I haven't got the chart in front of me. But um, up to about a year ago, some, you'll just see this uh, chart that goes from the bottom left to the top right as the results, you know, as they increased earnings. So, it, yeah, that's, that, that exposes just how tough it is to do business in this environment. David, quick comment on Sea Harvest. Wasn't Sea Harvest spun off from Brimstone? Is that the Sea Am I getting confused with? Because you've been mentioning... I think I, you're getting confused. I, I can't I and remember. Jay. <laughs> I and Jay was... Yeah. We, we we think of Oceana, which was in Thailand. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's gone so. to, to that's gone to uh, Sea Harvest. Well, their results came out today, and I'm just going to tell you why I know they're bad, because highlights for the year, the first thing they say is Sea Harvest Group achieved level one, triple B, double E, contributor status with a core of 100.37 and was rated the most transformed company on the JSE, and well done to them for that. But you know the results are bad when they put that first. (laughs) You did right. Uh, I I see they're down 1%. They've got operations in the U.S., isn't this? Didn't they expand into the U.S.? I'm sure it was Sea Harvest. I'm getting a bit mixed up with all the, all the different fishing companies. Being a Joburg boy here, we don't see much sea, so I can't tell the difference between Oceana, Irwin and Johnson, Sea Harvest, and whoever else there is. Exactly. The, the nearest you get to a fish is, a, is an ocean basket on a Thursday night. So just to be a fair for Sea Harvest, the, to Sea Harvest mm-hmm. rather, group revenue for the year increased by 21% to $2.58 billion. So I was being slightly unfair there. David, can we go back to Friday, please, now? Because I was yes. on an airplane for most of the day. I struggled in, went to the, my share net screen, okay. as I habitually do when I've been away from my computer for an hour or so. And there I saw a share called Aspen which was 100 yeah. rand a yeah. share. And then I looked at the low of the day, and it was about 70 rand a share. And I thought, what's happened? Has there been a stock split or something in the last 24 hours? Yeah. But no, this was results. And people don't like the amount of debt. And I think that was the, the main thing. And looking at it today, it did dip below 100 again. It was down around about 97. Mm-hmm. It's currently trading, if I can put it up, at about 101 rand per share. So it's not as if that was an anomaly on Friday. People are still sitting yeah. down and saying, market cap is this, debt is this. Yeah. We don't like that. Yeah, no, 
No. I think it's extremely disappointing. Uh, you know, Stephen Saad, and I've got nothing against management team. I've always had respect for what their strategy was to transform what was a, a local generic pharmaceutical company into an international distributor of anesthetic and, and manufacture drugs. Mm. Manufacture them here as mm. well. Uh, they could manufacture them cheaply and, and, but, all it is, it's just an operation that's taking longer to deliver than they foresaw. It's, there are more problems in the, you know, they, they, they're coming across more problems in actually transforming it. Uh, initially they were getting still from AstraZeneca and I think it's GlaxoSmithKline. They were getting the drugs made for them to distribute. Uh, sooner or later they'll start to, you know, manufacture them here. Yeah, it's not that easy just to start manufacturing these drugs. So there have been delays in actually fulfilling uh, their, you know, their strategy. But along the way, uh, they borrowed a lot of money and the debt is beginning to plague them and to, to weigh down on them. In fact, to a point where the infant milk, uh, or the infant formula uh, business, which was, uh, one of the big growth sectors, they've had to put on the market and sell. Uh, simply this was going to be another growth vector of theirs, but unfortunately, um, it's, it's, uh, again, they, they were forced to sell assets in order to bring down debt. And this has taken longer to realize. They haven't got the money for this yet. So in the meantime, in order to fund working capital money, you know, their, their debt has gone up. And this is beginning to, to, um, this is beginning to weigh on them. And, and Lindsay, they broke covenants. And what covenants is, is that anybody who lends them money, um, it, is, is entitled to security. And what happens, you know, you watch these, uh, you watch the, the amount that they're earning again and, and how safe the payment of interest to, is to you and also how safe it will be to repay your debt. And once those go tilt, once those go out of, out of sync, then the creditor can call in the debt. And this is the big fear. They've already broke covenants one and, uh, it's possible that they're doing it again. So they, they're operating at the mercy of their creditors at the moment. Uh, they might have very good relationships with them, but that's what's worrying the market, is that if the creditors decide, hold on a sec, we want to recall our loan, which they're perfectly entitled to do, then you can sink this company. So uh, there's okay. a lot of worry about that. There's, there's mm. problems in the boardroom, obviously, and I think somebody said to me this morning that the, it was the halo effect, and everybody thought that everything Stephen Sard and his team did mm. has had done had done well and therefore everything he would do in the future would also yield the same sort of fruits that yes. they've been used to mm. maybe the management started to say well we're bulletproof we can do this we can do that just like maybe break did i don't know but because steven Sard's a really really good chap and he still has an amazing amazing business yeah. but why didn't the asset management business have a look at all this debt and why I did don't. it and, and say well, wait a second yeah. this is an accident waiting to yeah, happen maybe I'm, yeah. if I sell it at 300 and it still goes to 400 which it did it went to 440 mm. 450 something like that but if they'd have got out at 300 knowing that the debt pile was starting to become a little bit a little bit of a drag <laughs> potentially in the future here it is at 100 so you got out at 300 it went to 400 but ultimately you would have been vindicated yeah. because yeah. It's, it's now one quarter less than one quarter of its yeah. peak which is astonishing. I, I think we were too keen to buy the story. You know, we were too keen to buy the growth story as we were with other businesses that have gone 
uh, in similar directions, whether it's been a MediClinic, whether it's been an MTN, whether it's been a Brate. You know, there's a, I could give you a list that extends you know, from one, from the top of the page to the bottom. There must be, we've, 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 uh, Woolworths is another one. Keep going, you know, Blue Label. Uh, so many businesses here who had these very aggressive, um, uh, strategies to acquire businesses. What you find out, Lindsay, it takes a long time to actually bed down those and fulfill your strategies and fulfill these uh, acquisitions. And this is just another situation. And in this case, they had big debt, um, as, as, as has happened with the others that I mentioned as well. And that begins to drag you, you know, down and down. They weren't done with pure cash. It wasn't done with equity and which gives you, buys you time. This was done with debt. So their debt eventually starts to creep and hurt you. But Lindsay, we were too eager and the analysts were too eager to lap up the story and to sell the story without putting any kind of circuit breakers in place. And I think you find this with, with most acquisitive companies that these things, you know, they eventually do. This does happen. So, yeah, you're right. Mm. And uh, the analysts themselves, you know, they spend a lot of time, but uh, um, they've also got to start to, I, I, I think, times by 0.5, anything that management tells them or any plan that's given. You know, when the PowerPoint presentation comes in, times it by 0.5, which means just, just to lower your expectations there's, rather than higher them. There's been far too many incidences that have occurred in the boardrooms mm, of mm, JC-listed mm. companies, and we did a program about it six or seven weeks ago. Yeah. And I said, let's look back at 2018 and all the disasters, and we thought perhaps South Africa has learnt its lesson in 2019, and all the worst is behind us. But here we are, I mean, talking about Aspen below 100 rand a share, down whatever it was on Friday, 30%, something like that, mm. the close are much worse when it was 70 rand a share. But Tongol, what was that down on Friday? About 20, 25% and another 19 today. And below that, you've, you've got the first 30%. <laughs> so this is a company which uh, year to date um, is down 70% Good since Lord. the beginning of the year. Mm. Over the last year, it's down 80%. And this Tongart was, when you talk about Tongart was one of the most desired companies or most followed companies 15, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, it had sugar. It had human in. You know, the sugar was a, a, the huge business. It had starches. It had all the land which was going to convert. I mean, this came at a later stage. But it was an enormously uh, iconic company, yes. particularly down in the in, in, in Natal. Um, and to see it trading now at a market cap of around $2 billion, I mean, just gives you an idea of how bad things have gone. Now, who do we blame? You know, do you blame the sugar price? Do you blame – what do you blame? You know, and, and, and at the end, one has to look at management for, for, for running the company the way they have. You know, Peter Strouder always had this incredibly good name. But now when they start to re-look at the accounts, one's got to say, well, what's happened in the past? How did they value things? You know, what is the story about when, when they make an announcement during the restructuring program that they have to re-look at uh, restate assets? So I don't know what's happened. I don't know what the story is. I don't want to point fingers and say this is another Steinhoff in any case. And that, but once you start to restate accounts, it means that management um, did not adhere to to normal or uh, accepted standards of accounting. The fact that they have to relook at this. You know, PwC's come in, and um, obviously the issues there it could be on the land. 
Could be that they've over, re, you know, revalued land too high, whatever it is. I don't know, but this is a company which is just heading one way. Sound mm, 20% today, and we know what way that yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, this is big. Yeah, but I'm looking at the market cap is around about 2 billion. And, and can you, in a 2 billion rand, can you imagine what the land is? I think the land in the balance sheet is, is valued significantly more than that, plus all their sugar operations, so plus their starch operations. It must be a buy then. Well, you don't want to touch it because this could be, you don't know what those accounts are going to reveal. You know, whether, you know, what the debt side is. Put it this way. We know what the asset side of the balance sheet is. We don't know what the liability side is. Okay. I've taken up a lot of time talking about negativity. Let's talk about something positive because yesterday at the Emirates Stadium in North London, Arsenal beat Manchester United 2 yeah. 0 and they outthought them as well, I thought. And the other thing that I have to say is I haven't seen such passion from the fans and from the team for a long time <laughs> at the Emirates. <laughs> well, we haven't beaten Man United, I don't know how many decades. So I think they had something to celebrate. But you know something, Lindsay, I've got to bring this up with you. Go on then. I, after the game, I was watching the pundits, you know, sitting there and everybody was talking about it. And, and not once did they give any credit to Arsenal. All the, all the worry and all the talk was about how Man United lost the game. And, 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 and I'm saying, hold on a sec, you know, the reason they lost, I tweeted this earlier, I said, the reason they lost is Arsenal put the ball in the back of the net twice, yes. and United didn't. Yeah. End of story. And, and, and people tend to forget about it, you know, they, they seem to, because Lukaku fell all, you know, fell over his bootlaces and whatever it is, and he couldn't get his feet in the right place. That happens in any match, but at the end, you know, credit to, credit to Arsenal for, for enduring and for holding on as long as they did and, and actually winning. So, and, the, yeah. and, and the other thing is as well, I don't care what anybody says about discipline and in the Manchester United dressing room on Wednesday night in Paris, there was Sir Alex Ferguson and Eric Cantona and everyone went, went, went mad justifiably because it was one of the greatest European yeah, fo- football yeah. victories in yeah. European Cup history. Okay, they, they, beat, they came down from 2-0 down at home to PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, and they won 3-1 away and therefore they went through. These kids are in Paris. They've just pulled off this remarkable feat. They're in Paris, one of the most vibrant cities in Europe. They're earning an absolute fortune. They're young and enthusiastic, let me put it that way, and they're also stupid. So they went out on a bender, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, and their, their bodies are so fit, they're probably still um, mildly intoxicated. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. So well done, well, Arsenal, but I, I think they were they hung over. It's simple as that. They were all looking for beers. Got wine there. David Shapiro, it's been an extended chat. Thank you very much for your time. I hope the memory results get better and we'll speak next week. That's David Shapiro and that was Shapiro World.